Hello all. Hope you're doing well. We're moving on to Congress today. You might recall we talked about Congress being listed first in the Constitution, uh, Article 1, and there's probably some sentiment being conveyed there that is the founders expected Congress to really be the engine of government. If you want evidence of that, you could look at the title of former President Woodrow Wilson's book while he was a political scientist. He wrote a book in 1883 called Congressional Government. And that's essentially what he said. He went on to relay that the true work of Congress takes place in committees and subcommittees rather than on the floor of the House or the floor of the Senate. You might notice that people in, say, agriculturally uh, tied states like Iowa or Illinois want to be on an agriculture committee. They want to have policy influence on legislation that's going to relate to their constituents, the people that they serve. A curious thing about Congress, approval rating for the institution has hovered between 9 and 18% for the past couple of years. However, incumbent members of Congress, those who are already elected, have much, much, much higher rates of re-election than that number might lead you to expect. In fact, the re-election rate for an incumbent member of Congress is over 90% in most races. You may say, well, why is that? To understand, we have to look at some specific functions that members of Congress serve. One, constituent services or client services. If grandma doesn't get her social security check, a member of Congress's staffer will usually contact the Social Security Administration, make sure grandmom gets her check. That's called casework. Additionally, members of Congress behave differently, according to scholars like Richard Fenno, when they're in their home district or home state rather than in Washington, D.C., you may notice when, say, Darren LaHood comes to the Macomb area, it's not like whether he's wearing a multi-thousand dollar suit like you would wear in Washington, D.C. Instead, he might be wearing Carhartts or blue jeans. He might even be wearing hunting gear, trying to signal, hey, I'm like you. And you can see this with diction, with accent evolution. There's a great piece on Hillary Clinton's accent evolution on YouTube. Uh, certainly sounds different based on the audience she is choosing to speak to. And I think you could say the same for former President George W. Bush on the other side of the political aisle. Born in Connecticut, but certainly affected a Texas draw when necessary. So home style, the way we present ourselves, the way we speak, and maybe even the issues that we address while we're in our home districts or our home states. What else can incumbents do? Well, they can frank. They can send free mail to you to highlight or tout their accomplishments. Moreover, they can request that funds be sent to their district or state in the form of earmarks or pork barrel spending. This is money that is uh, included in a piece of legislation to go to a specific district or state. It may be used for things like, say, construction or infrastructure. You might see a new bridge named after your member of Congress. The reason it's named after your member of Congress might be that this person got money directed to your district. Moreover, go back to cheap cues that we talked about with elections and rational choice. Well, incumbents have an advantage because we tend to think, hey, they did something to get elected. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. All of these provide tremendous advantages. And then the final one to think about is gerrymandering the ability of members of Congress to draw their own districts. You'll see a link later 
uh, in your email or on Muster Online. It'll show you some of the most gerrymandered districts in our country. Uh, essentially, you're selecting the people who are going to vote for you into office. So that's an advantage that incumbents have. Another question we have with Congress is how representative is it? It's the most representative of all our elected institutions. 435 members in the House, 100 in the Senate for a total of 535. You do the math with 327 million Americans, and you're looking at one representative for every 800,000 to a million people. Very difficult to represent all of those interests, but still more representative in sheer number than, say, the presidency or the unelected court system. Some might say, gosh, if we made Congress bigger, we might have more representative institutions. Scholars like Brian Frederick argue we could take the cube root of the population and that could become our number of congressional seats. Still, some worry adding more members to an institution that is already grinding slowly to a halt when it comes to legislation, it's already contentious, might make the legislative process even more cumbersome. So something to think about there. When it comes to Congress and its makeup, it doesn't seem that Congress mirrors the United States population, especially in key demographic characteristics or socioeconomic characteristics. When it comes to demographics, we would expect in a country with 52% uh, female citizens, we might have 52 female senators. That's not the case. We have around 20. Some argue, well, a woman might be able to make decisions that are more in line with the experiences of women in society. That is, as a man, I will never live the experience of being a woman. So voting on legislation related to women's issues uh, or women's concerns, things like reproductive rights, might not necessarily be the best thing for me. However, we have to be careful when it comes to descriptive representation. Just because someone shares a demographic characteristic with another person doesn't mean that they're going to think the same way. Sarah Palin and Hillary Clinton are both white women, certainly don't see the policy world the same way. The same could be said for African-American representatives, say Herman Cain and Barack Obama as an example. The other problem with descriptive representation is where do we draw the line? Because the only way to effectively represent my interests wholly would be to have a short, fat political scientist uh, in Congress. That is me. If we had a direct democracy, we could certainly ensure each of our interests were represented, but be even more difficult for us to make decisions, more time-consuming, and many of us don't have the expertise required. Leading us to another question related to Congress, that is, what sort of representation do we want? Do we want a delegate, that is, someone who does only what we have asked them or expected them to do? Or do we want a trustee, that is, a person we can trust, to make decisions that might not be in our immediate interest, but might be in our long-term interest. And a good way to think about this is think back to being a kid and having to take medicine that tasted terrible or getting a Bactine sprayed on your knee when you scraped it to prevent infection. These were not pleasant experiences, but our caretakers put us through them because they thought it was in our long-term best interest not to, say, get an infection or not to have our cough progress to turn into something worse. Uh, 
So our key question is how much do we trust members of Congress to make decisions based on their access to information that we may not have in our interest when we also know that they could potentially be acting in their own interest despite what we've asked them to do. This is what political scientists call the principal-agent dilemma. The agent, that is the representative, might withhold information, distort information, or otherwise pursue his or her own self-interest at the expense of the principals who selected them to office. Something to think about with representation and what it means. In our next podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about the evolution of the office of the presidency and how the presidency became such a powerful institution, even though the the framers didn't necessarily intend for it to be. So stay tuned for that. I hope you're all staying warm and healthy. We'll see you soon.